start it. And um, today we have a very, very small group, so I guess I won't be in anxiety. <coughs> okay, the usual disclaimer, I did all my prayers before the lesson, so that we can just start and get into it. Um, another disclaimer is about this cicadas for people who are going to log in today, uh, well, who are not here, but let's say for those in the recording, um, it's cicada season, so whatever sound you hear, I cannot do anything about it. It's uh, something we're going to have to tolerate. Okay, uh, let's see. If I recall correctly, last time we were talking about the cosmic considerations, as I call them. Because, um, so yeah, let's go back to that point and then uh, expand from there. We were saying that life, as we know it, begin with an inhalation. We breathe in. It's the very first thing we do as we become an independent being from our mother's uh, body. <clears throat> and then when we uh, die, we exhale the last breath. So I was saying that you could see it poetically as one whole breath because every other breathe, every other inhalation and exhalation that we do from the moment we're born to the time we die, if we put them all on one side, the inhalation on one side and the exhalation on the other side, they all cancel each other out like, you know, from an, an uh, algebraic point of view, plus and minus cancel each other out. So um, it all boils down to the original inhalation and the final exhalation. So you could say that life is like one big breath. You just breathe in and breathe out, and then you die, <laughs> practically. <clears throat> it's... Um, so uh, today's uh, meeting is about the uh, realizations that can be gotten out of uh, pranayama. Last time, in the first and second and third time, we kind of gave an introduction on pranayama and the, me uh, mechanic, the mechanics of it, how to breathe in affects the nervous system in a way, breathe out and whatever. We haven't talked about breath retention yet, but we probably will later. And um, the last time we started to talk about the realizations that a Vaishnav or a spiritualist or a Gaudiya Vaishnav could have from Pranayama. And the I'm doing a bit of a recap. And the original thought was not much to um, promote Pranayama per se. I'm not saying that the devotees should do well uh, focusing on their breath and, and they should incorporate that to their uh, spiritual practice, especially because we saw that when pranayama is done in the context of a spiritual practice, meaning um, Ashtanga Yoga, pranayama comes after a full purification of your habits, of your diet, of your just a behavior, your sexual life is shut down, 
to build up the this energy called kundalini and it's all about waking up this energy from the base chakra between the anus and the genitals all the way to the top one here which is when you attain realization uh, in the process of yoga so pranayama is just a step you have uh, you know first you adjust your behavior you kind of calm yourself you don't look for <clears throat> opportunities for sex you don't eat anything that you want to eat and then you start after you're done tweaking your habits you start tweaking your body making it supple relaxed so that you can sit in a symmetric um, balanced position and and forget about the body ultimately and then you do pranayama you control your breath which is the um, the link we said the point that connects the physicality of the body breathing is a very physical thing is what sustains the whole body we said that we can stay without eating for some for a few days we can stay without drinking for some time but we cannot stay more than a few minutes without breathing so um, it's really crucial to life and it's synonymous to living so um, through your brain you go from the physical to the subtle and then you act on a mental uh, sphere you act only on on the mental or subtle plane subtle plane according to our scripture means uh, intellect and um, ego and uh, mind so ego intellect and mind and uh, if you have tried some pranayama you typically sit up with uh, in, in, yona, in um, yana mudra and then after a while you don't feel your hands anymore you're like am i like this i, I can't even feel my body you're just constantly um not constantly you're just um, oblivious your body is so still that there are no contractions no signals of movement going to your brain and your brain forgets about it in case you don't know the brain only um processes the stimuli that are new that's why people can't smell themselves their breaths it's because it's constantly hitting the nose and the brain ignores it otherwise it's too much information so if there's a constant signal of non-movement the brain forgets about the physical body it's not the need of the moment so you act on a mental plane but that's what pranayama does it just brings your consciousness inwards and or higher and it really affects on uh, your uh, nervous system and your consciousness so um i was saying that this is not a presentation to promote pranayama per se because to uh, adopt pranayama a, ah, as a spiritual practice it is part of a much bigger broader uh method which i just described And it goes on from there pranayama then there is concentration then meditation and then samadhi now yogis who are really serious about pranayama um, follow that strictly because it's a very physical thing yoga as a um, spiritual path is very physical <clears throat> and as such it's got the limitations of matter of physical matter so you will read statements such as pranayama can cure all the diseases all the way to psychological degrees, uh, diseases depression anxiety because 
again, it, it affects your nervous system. Uh, I forget the name, parasympathetic or sympathetic. So it calms you down, it balances your energies at a subtle level, etc. But then the next statement is, when pranayama, well, actually the statement is, when pranayama is performed correctly, you can cure all diseases. And if you perform it incorrectly, you can get all kinds of diseases. So if your back is not straight, and all your nadis are not aligned, then you get um, uh, some kind of pulmonary problem, bronchitis or something like that. So you've got to have your back straight. And you need to remember this. And your stomach must be empty. And so many things. So that's why I'm saying, I'm definitely not advocating that a Vaishnav would incorporate pranayama to their lives necessarily, unless it helps. My generic point, which I say every week, is that um, I chose to make this uh, series of talks because I had to choose something and uh, I had been impressed by the advantages of breathing and acting on your breath to, to uh, alter your state of consciousness and, and your, your state of mind as opposed to, um, I don't know, taking drugs or any such mm, uh, physical aid because I've never taken any drugs, so at least give me, leave me the breath. <laughs> and the mantra, of course. But, um, so yeah, I was impressed by the advantages of uh, pranayam, and I was thinking, I'll talk about that, mostly, also, in tandem, like on a parallel um, channel, I also care that People, I mean, if I ever, you know, see myself in a position of uh, teaching or guiding or explaining something to somebody, I care that uh, people understand or don't get this mentality that, what did I call it, that people don't demonize, not people, devotees, that they don't demonize. As I said every week, a Vaishnava Krishnaizes everything. They don't see demons, they don't see, they just see everything in relation to Krishna. That goes without saying. So many places in our scriptures talk about that. And yet, we fall in the pit of thinking, us and them. If this is the way, that cannot be the way. And this is the way, and I adopted it, it must be the right one, so that must be the wrong one. We need to be much more relaxed, much more open-minded, because... We chose a path where, I mean, what we're dealing with is the infinite, the eternal, the absolute, the omniscient, the omnipresent, the omnipotent. So let's not apply our little brain and our human experience to that because we're just not going to get the full um, experience, the full benefit that we could get from our spiritual pursuit if we were open-minded, open-hearted, even more importantly. And so this presentation on pranayama is just an excuse to, to just uh, hammer on this point. Don't think in geographical terms, don't think in anatomical terms, like or psychological terms, like, you know, I remember being shocked when um, I heard that the Hindus had some uh, objection to Krishna Leela. Second. <clears throat> because it's immoral that Krishna goes with the gopis in the night in the forest. And I was like, 
do they think he's a human? Do they think they're talking about, I don't know, some king in the past or just a human being that, that did that? And why should we take the example of that? And it really struck me as weird. Um, it kind of goes to the credit of the Hindus that really think of Krishna as one of their own or, or just God as one of their own. They don't think it's just mythology. It's just like I heard about the Bibles. They're just stories that are meant to make you feel good and do the right thing. They really think of Krishna as a person, as we should. At the same time, as my Guru Maharaj, Srila Tripurari Maharaj, um, uh, um, emphasizes, Krishna Lila is human-like, but we shouldn't do away with that like. Krishna is not human, it's human-like. It's a, it's a show, it's a drama of his. <clears throat> but because he is at the same time personal and impersonal, it's the absolute. So it is omniscient, it is everywhere, it is uh, omnipotent, it is eternal and infinite. And the son of Yashoda and the friend of Subala and the lover of Radha and, uh, you know, and Narayana and Ramachandra and Narasimha and, and all these forms because he can, because it's, it's, it's the same reality we're talking about from different points of view. So that was just the introduction that I kind of care to make every week so that it's clear what I'm talking about and why I'm not necessarily into pranayama per se. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so, um, having talked about the mechanics of pranayama and the advantages and and um, and and the disadvantages or how limiting it is as a spiritual practice, like karma, like any other uh, path that's not bhakti, which is so much more forgiving, so much uh, easier. I don't know what's going on with my voice. One second, please. <coughs> <clears throat> um, I can't remember what I was saying, but um, bhakti is in comparison to any other practice so generous. Any mm, you know coin that you put in the bhakti bank account stays there. And uh, even if you just uh, stop in this lifetime and pick it up in the next lifetime, it all gets taken into account because as I like to say, there's a person on the other hand, on the other end, you know, uh, bhakti is our approach uh, to the absolute, our, you know, the way we relate to the absolute in a personal sense. And so there is a person, and, and so the absolute um, reciprocates as a person. There's a person on the other side who gets pleased or displeased or who forgives us. The Absolute doesn't forgive us. It's it's just all there is, including me. There's nothing to forgive because there's nothing outside of the Absolute. It's all perfect. And uh, so I hope I'm not uh, confusing you with these words. So anyway, there's a person on the other side. So in Bhakti, every effort is taken and the, and the feeling behind the effort is appreciated and um, the value of it is um, uh, well appreciated by Krishna like I said there's a person on the other side whereas in karma karma is just a law if you do karma yoga yes you do make advancement in karma yoga because you do make sacrifices to all the gods 
including Vishnu. And so it kind of educates you to uh, approach a higher power, to acknowledge a higher power, and, uh, you know, it kind of um, puts you on the rail of service. You do this thing and you get this result. I don't even know if you can call it service because it's... But anyway, it's putting, it's putting certain jivas in relation to the divine that way. But you make a mistake in karma and you get the karmic repercussion from it. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. And in yoga, it's the same. If you breathe and not in the proper way, if your body is not in the right posture, you know, given that the body, like I said, is really just a machine with its air filter, with its uh, oil, with its uh, fuel, with its engine, and uh, whatever I said, with pulleys, you know, all the muscles, the bones, and the lungs, and the heart, and the stomach. Um, if you bend a pipe, or if you have a valve that doesn't close properly, you have physical problems. You cannot do without that, you know. Uh, like, you know, in uh, pranayama, since it's what we're talking about, if you breathe in and then retain your breath, which is ultimately the goal to pranayama, to breathe as little as possible for as long as possible, to, so to stretch one's breath, one inhalation and exhalation for as long as possible, and to withhold your brain for as long as possible. Why? Since we're talking about realizations... Well, because we did say that breathing is equivalent to living. But living what? Living where? In the material world, doing material life. Like I said, when you are born, you breathe in and you start your karmic debt with the world. You've taken, <laughs> whatever, oxygen, air from the material uh, world, which is not your energy. And what do you do with that energy? As a baby, probably not much. You just <laughs> breathe it out. But it's a metaphor of our karmic debt that begins from the very first breath. And um, <clears throat> what was I talking about? I'm distracted by the echo of my own words in, uh, on YouTube. Uh, what was I saying? Mm. Karmic, karmic repercussions. So... The, the, the goal of pranayama is to breathe as slowly as possible. In one sense, because like we said the first time, the lifetime of each uh, living being, let's just stick with humans, of each one of us is numbered, is measured in breaths. Like in, in this breath, in this lifetime, you have 2,572,342 breaths. So if you can breathe once a minute instead of 15 times a minute, your life is, uh, what, what is it, 15 times longer? So there is that kind of like enjoying mentality of uh, wanting to control as much as uh, uh, yoga, Ashtanga yoga, is a spiritual path, it's really tinged with this desire to master the world, to, to be God, really, you know. In and of itself, it's a form of liberation, sarupya mukti, to have the same form of, uh, of God, uh, sarshti, to, say, to have the same powers of God. Now, I don't know if it's a hoax, but I did hear 
that there are some yogis that can impregnate a woman with their glance, just like Mahavishnu. Um, I don't know how it could be proven, but anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying that a yogi ultimately wants to replace God. And it is seen as a form of, um, you know, liberation that's sanctioned by the Vedas to have the same powers of God, Sarshti Mukti, Sarupya Mukti, to, to have the same uh, uh, look of God, to look like God, uh, Samipya Mukti, to have a close association with God, Salokya, to live on the same planet with God, and that refers to the different planets in Vaikuntha, Narasingha Loka, Purushottama Loka, whatever Loka, uh, Padmanabha Loka, Damodara Loka, etc. Um... I forgot, did I skip some Mukti, Samipya, sa... obviously there, there is Sayujya. Sayujya is just an impersonal one, so it's um, you just put an end to your miseries and then you just take pleasure in your existing, except there is no you to take pleasure. It, you just blend with the, the joy of, of existing, that, like the buzz of I am. You become awareness. You don't become aware of everything. You become awareness because you lose your sense of I. You don't think I am aware of everything. There's no I and there's no everything. That's Sayujya Mukti. And then the other Muktis, my point was that there are Vaishnav Muktis or, you know, personal Muktis. So, uh, a yogi ultimately has this goal of... Um, getting this uh, darshan of the paramatma and they also lose sight of themselves they just get this vision and they just contemplate the the form of the, of the lord uh, forever I, I also heard that the yogis want you know when they see the paramatma in their heart they identify with it so i don't know if there's some criticism in it like they think they're god or you know, it could be seen in a more humble way. The bottom line is that there's a lot of this desire to control matter by controlling your senses and therefore the extension of your senses. And, and, you know, your eyes and therefore you control what can, what can be seen. You control your breath and uh, you control uh, whatever, the, the air element. You know, like uh, Neo, for uh, those of you who have... Um, watched the uh, Matrix movies, at some point he could see behind the, um, the illusion of the virtual world he was in, he could see the doings of the program and he could just uh, use matter like Play-Doh. He just saw it for what it was without being deluded by it and identified with it. So the yogi can just see Everything as a combination of earth, water, fire, air, and ether, and mind, and intelligence, and ego. And um, by controlling the earth element in their body, and uh, maybe controlling it, or, yeah, harnessing it, just, they let, they, they how could you say that? They merge the earth element in their body with the rest of the world, I was talking about last time about Dhruva Maharaj, that he started, he stopped breathing, he was retaining his breath, 
and then the demigods were uh, choking. They couldn't breathe because he his meditation was so strong that the air he controlled, he just he was controlling not just the air going in and out of his lungs, but just the air, the air element. So, um, and there's something that could be said about the world. What is the world really? We were saying last time that we're all alone in our universal bubble. We think we're interacting like it's me and a couple of million cicadas in the forest and my cat on the chair and so many other people that I just see them, I just interact with them. How could it be that I'm alone? But we're actually infinite jivas in infinite universes that all coincide, just like um, the, the video game example I was given that um, I'm a little out of date, but I know that there are video games, usually war-based video games, where I could be playing with somebody in uh, Canada and another person in Germany and another person in Taiwan, and we can be all in the same uh, war zone. In my computer, I see my own hands holding a, something, a, a weapon, and then the guy from Taiwan will see me holding a weapon, but like hiding behind a tank. And the guy from Germany will see me, but from the other side. So he'll see my left side or from, a, from an angle more from the left. The other guy will see me from that angle. And then there's the enemy from whatever I said, uh, Canada, who's my enemy. He sees, he sees me from the front and we're all in the same game. And if I shoot the Canadian guy, everybody will say, oh, he shot the Canadian guy. And the character of the game will die. Well, everybody will say, he died. But nobody will see the world the way I see it from my computer. And the reality is that I'm all alone in my room. And the guy is all alone in his room in Taiwan. And, on, Taiwan, and the other person is all alone to, to kind of make this analogy work in their room in uh, Canada, etc., etc. Actually, there are people in Asia, in China and Japan that really have to go to rehab because they lock themselves in their room, they close the windows, they don't want nothing to do with the external world. Their parents have to like leave the meals in the room or from under the door because they just don't want any. And when they do leave because of some intervention, they just freak out. They don't, they cannot relate with this reality. So. That's all that's happening. That's identification. We think that they have a problem because they're identified with virtual reality and we don't know that this reality is also virtual. Like I said many times, as solid as it is, as concrete as it is, as it is, it's all made of atoms that are like full of space between a nucleus and the electrons, between the protons and the neutrons, uh, and the, yes, pr protons and neutrons. There's so much space and, and it's all held together by electric or electromagnetic um, frequencies uh, and uh, fields. So we're also in a virtual game. So how did I go there? Um, we're talking about uh, yoga. The yogis want to take control of the world because, yes, um, the bubble that we're all in, we, Jiva, all alone in this bubble, it's like me, all alone in the computer, and it's all, is there really a soldier holding a, a, a rifle? Is there really an enemy coming at me with another rifle? It's all pixels, right? 
it's all light different values of zero one zero zero one uh, the binary code of uh, computers which is what they reason on which is kind of a, a significant significant the way it um, mirrors the duality of our world our world is all about zero and one you know shakti and shiva yoni and linga empty and full weak and strong cold and hot it's just how this whole world is uh, running the balance or the chasing one another of um, the positive and the negative and again there's nothing negative in the negative and nothing positive in the positive it's just the two extremes that we're talking about so the duality of the binary code and the computer 0101 makes it look a little bit more beige here and a little more green here and it, it looks like a soldier it's all light it's all codes uh co decoded light we make sense of it like if my cat were to come and look at the computer while i'm playing she wouldn't see any soldiers she wouldn't see any war zone she could barely see the computer and understand that it's an object in and of itself and not just a part of the table and uh, something else sticking up you know does she conceive of the keyboard she doesn't have that so consciousness gives meaning to matter that is a very important truth and uh, premise we should uh, interact with the world um, thinking about so <clears throat> um, we're all alone in this bubble and this bubble the universal bubble that we are the center of out of false ego we think we're the center of the universe it's just empty it's just darkness and it just re reflects whatever we cast on it it just bounces back which is what karma is we send forth good vibes and good vibes come back like an echo think of an echo we say i love you and the universe says i love you and we say i hate you and the universe says i hate you that's a pretty apt metaphor but really we're all alone <clears throat> Um, I was uh, studying and researching uh, lucid dreaming a couple of, uh, well, maybe last year. Lucid dreaming, basically, uh, you're lucid in your dreams. So your dreams are not given by your subconscious regurgitating what, uh, what it needs to process. But it's you, when you realize that you're dreaming, you're like, huh, well, now I want to fly. And, and your mind just creates the full matrix then you're fly and now i want to meet my my celebrity crush and you meet them and i want to i wanted to do lucid dreaming because i wanted to talk with my body personified and ask it what is the problem with my health what do i need to do is it the thyroid is it the liver stone uh, liver stones what do i have to do what diet and because because uh, it works like that it's um so anyway while researching lucid dreaming or any dream like anybody who knows anything about dream dreams they will tell you that whoever you dream of they're none other than projections of your own subconscious just yourself but uh, you're interacting with yourself all the characters of your dreams are aspects of your subconscious and that's why they say as a parenthesis that if a mountain lion come, comes and tries to kill you, you should just hug them 
because it's <laughs> which is not the most intuitive thing to do because you don't know you're you're um you're you're dreaming but in lucid dreams they say you should embrace your fears whatever comes to kill you to scare you don't run away otherwise they'll keep coming just hug them and they will change they'll start talking to you and it's a very fascinating thing the bottom line is that whatever you dream of is just a reflection of your subconscious so let's put that thought aside for a second um mm, Yeah, let's see if I can if I can tie it together later on. So, we were talking about breathing. How one life, one's own, one's whole life can be taken as one big breath in and out. And I said, does that remind you of something? Because Mahavishnu's life, Mahavishnu's, uh, what am I saying? Um, uh, yeah, Brahma's life, the, the life of the universe is conceived as one breath of uh, Mahavishnu. Mahavishnu breathes out and from the pores of his body, infinite universes, you know, infinite possibilities. Now, the Vedas are super clear and um, explicit in saying in speaking the way I was before. So people are kind of led to thinking that there are infinite universes, meaning with like so many galaxies and planets, and it's fine. But um, there's some merit to thinking also, like I said, that the multiverse is all in one in this dimension. The material world is doesn't have to be a bubble. It's just this dimension where your consciousness is tinged with material ego and um, and then you do you have a material experience at different levels but um, I wouldn't think in geographical terms that there is one universe here one universe there so what's in between is it a spiritual world is it, it it you know these things are described in a way just for us to conceptualize that there is a spiritual reality with a certain ego, with certain dynamics, and then a material dynamic, and then a, a material reality that goes on. But the Vedas also say clearly that, you know, Krishna's energies, whether it's Yoga Maya or Mahamaya, are all pure, are all his energies. They say that he's not different from his energies. Krishna alone is pure energy. You know, his body is made of Sandini Shakti. His um, uh, he presides over Sambhicca. He is knowledge. He is love. And like I said, the absolute can be personal and impersonal at the same time. It can be a person, a coward boy, a boy playing around, or a concept or, or reality itself. At the same time, why not? So, anyway. Um, uh, what was I saying? That the life of, of a universe corresponds with the breath of Mahavishnu. What I didn't say last time is that it's kind of um, uh, interesting and, and uh, significant how life for us begins with the inhalation. And when we die, we breathe our last breath, as it is said. But when Mahavishnu breathes, his 
exhalation corresponds to the manifestation of the material universes. Now, it's a half analogy, because for us, breathing is life. When we breathe in, we acquire oxygen that our body runs on, <clears throat> and then when we breathe out, like air is mostly oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, water vapor, and, you know, traces of many other uh, gases. So we absorb the oxygen, which is very important for our uh, hemoglobin and our blood that carries the nutrients to all of our uh, organs and, and brain. And then the byproduct is, you know, more water vapor and mostly carbon dioxide. So you could say that the breath out, the out breath, is a byproduct. Now, Vishnu, Mahavishnu doesn't have to breathe. He doesn't acquire energy. He is the source of all energy, or he is energy. So he doesn't need to breathe in. And to breathe in is not a, uh, uh, a beginning for him. But it's kind of uh, very interesting to see the, the relation between... Like I said, if we consider the consider the um, exhalation as a byproduct, so when he breathes out, that's the material world. That's the whole of material existence that becomes manifest. So we live in a gassy cloud of um, you know <laughs> Mahavishnu's uh, out breath, just like my Guru Maharaj says. If uh, God was a painter, he'd be painting on a canvas. And that would be Goloka Vrindavan. He'd be painting a, uh, a landscape and cows and him playing with his friends and meeting at night with the gopis and stuff. And then when he changes color, he just uh, puts the, um, the, the, the brush in some water and then just dries it, just, you know, splashes it and, and smears it on another canvas just to clean the brush. So my Guru Maharaj says that the painting is the spiritual world. And the material world is just the aftermath, the, the byproduct. Product. So in this analogy, the material world is just the exhalation of Vishnu. It's just the, the, uh, the, the byproduct. But for us, it's all of life. What he breathes out, we breathe in. Which is another nice thought to have while breathing every day, that we're dependent on God. And uh, he... Oh, by the way, in the Bible... It says that God uh, blew into a Adam's nostrils or something, so he injected life. That's a very interesting point. He injected life into, what is the story? That he made Adam and Eve out of clay, out of mud, and then he breathed into, uh, into their noses and then came to life. So, same thing. Uh, God blows and we come to life. But what life? Material life, right? A life of debt, a life of taking, given and taken. So, um, I'm running out of time. Uh, well, yes, another realization. I'm not changing subject, I'm just saying given and taken. Before thinking of Mahavishnu, before knowing about Mahavishnu, the breath, our daily breath, our minutely breath, we breathe at every minute, should be a reminder of this duality of the world that I was talking about. Um, 
My Guru Maharaj is fond of saying, of quoting a verse from the Bhagavatam that says that at every rising and setting and, and setting of the sun, the sun, it's taken a day of our lives away. So, which is a poetic way of saying that the moment you're born, you're just dying. You're just getting that much closer to dying. It looks like you're accomplishing something. Like, you know, when you get an, a beautiful flower and you put it in a vase and then it wilts, at what time did it start to wilt? The moment it, 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 it came out of the bud, the, the moment it blossomed, not even when you cut it. Like the Bhagavad Gita says, certain is birth, certain is death for those who are born, and certain is birth for those who die. Because it's like, like I said, it's a bubble. It's like there's no getting out of here because you cannot get out of here. It's a matter of changing your consciousness. So, back to the video games. Don't think in, 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 um, in, in geographical terms. Yes, they say that the universe is covered by, what, seven layers. There's like the, the universal bubble. And then there is one layer of, um, what, earth. And then one layer of uh, water and fire and air and... Uh, uh, ether and they're one seven times thicker than the other or thinner than the other something like that and then you, you pierce through the cover of the material world and you're like in like some kind of spiritual energy and then you get to see Mahavishnu lying on the ocean which is not an ocean it's a river the Viraja river the causal ocean is also called Viraja river because a river in our um, is in this kind of imagery represents um, you know, the uh, demarcation, the end of the spiritual world and the beginning of the material world because that's how we think. After all, the Vedas are for us. They're not for self-realized people. They're not for God. And we're thinking, we have to think in terms of beginning and end. Oh, this is here and this is there. When this ends, this begins. And it kind of helps us think. But no, going back to the video game, I mean, no, sure, you could see it like that, and, and it would work like that in a certain sense. I mean, it would take millions of light years to pierce the, the cover of the universe, but whatever. No, it's done through consciousness, through um, raising, uh, adjusting the, the frequency of your consciousness, just like in the radio. You just... Um, when you when you when you tune into a certain radio station or an or another, you just go higher or lower in frequency. So, like I said, self-realization means to vibrate at God's frequency, and then we see the world from His point of view as His property, and we see us as His. So, the I and mine that is the the hub in our heart. What our concern is, I and mine, what is good for me? What am I going to do for myself and the people I love? Is this mine or not mine? All this gets replaced, aham mama, this, this constant absorption in aham mama becomes Bhagawan and Bhagavata. So God and gods, what is of God, Krishna and Radha. And um, so that's the goal of life. You just do that by tuning your consciousness. And just like when uh, you're doing a video game, say you have an avatar, and um, 
let's change video game because I, I don't know the war one but i saw my niece playing the sims some of you may be familiar with the sims you uh create a total persona for yourself you choose your hair color and then you're given a certain money uh, balance and then you you build your own house you get a university degree you go to work etc 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 you give yourself a name so um there are video games that even imply cyber goggles and a cyber glove and you're really meshed in that reality you're really identified so should your mother say hey it's dinner time now i don't know <laughs> she she would be the the guru uh, it's a metaphor that needs you know in, you know analogies and metaphors only go far to a certain point and then they just fall short because I'm not talking about video games. I'm talking. I'm talking about spiritual reality and material reality. But anyway, when it's dinner time, it's not that me uh, with my avatar. Let's say I call myself John, John Smith. I have to like come through the computer, through the pixels, through the circuits, through the the chips and the electricity. I mean, no, I just change my level of consciousness. I just have to realize. Oh. Oh yeah, I, I'm Shamasundar and it's dinner time. I'm not John Smith. Oh my God, I got totally absorbed in this game. I take off my cyber goggles. I take off my cyber glove, and I realize I close the game, and I go to dinner. But um, before I go to dinner, it's always me on my chair. I just changed my identification, my level of consciousness. So that's what's required. Now, what was I talking about? Um, the universe. Here I am, little little me talking about these cosmic things. Like I know who I am. But anyway, um, there's just some realizations that I thought I would share so that other people would feel inspired by all that. Okay, so I was saying that at every breath, you know, the Bhagavatam says that the sun has taken away our lives because we're actually just dying. Everything in the material world is not alive. This body is not alive. The moment the soul goes, this body that was just a, a, a conglomeration of blood, not even blood, iron, you know, minerals, atoms, it just goes back into other atoms, you know. The, the body turns into dirt if you bury it, into ash, into... Just the same elements of material energy just getting recycled because this is a closed, limited environment. Vaikuntha means limitless. But this word is very much limited, very much circular. That's why we should recycle. That's why we shouldn't pollute because it's all here to stay. A lot of people like to say, I am made of stardust because, you know, at some point a, a star exploded and some stardust went on Earth and then some bacteria took advantage of those uh, minerals and then the wh whatever the bacteria exudes in the water a plant absorbs it like a wheat plant and then with that wheat you uh, make flour and then i eat the bread which contains stardust and the protein from the bread get absorbed by my body and so i'm made of stardust yeah i mean really do you need to tell yourself that to feel special 
it's all the same ingredients. It's all wet stool or, or dry stool. It's material elements. If we think and know and re realize and remember that we're actually consciousness, infinitesimal unit of consciousness with the infinite potential, we couldn't care less that we're made of stardust or anything. <laughs> so anyway, let's see if I can finish my point. Um, the um, so anyway, to cut it short, at every breath, we're just getting closer and closer to death. But at every breath, we can also be reminded of the duality. We breathe in, we're taken, we breathe out, we're given. We breathe in, we're full, we breathe out, we're empty. So at every breath, we're reminded, oh yeah, I live in a matrix that runs on the binary code, which is the duality of Linga Yoni, together, the creative principle. And the, uh, well, I guess the Yoni is also a creative principle. Like creation, Linga, for those who don't know, Linga Yoni is a way of uh, worshipping Shiva as a phallus in a, in a womb. And so it's the masculine uh, organ and the feminine organ together. That's what this whole world runs on. Masculine, feminine, positive, negative, like I said, the duality of the world. So at every breath, we can think of that. Now, um, oh, I wish, anyway, maybe I'll, I'll go a little longer. I'll see. Um, at every breath, we can also think... Like I said, breath, like I didn't say, because I haven't talked about breath retention. So in pranayama, because breathing means material life, the goal is to breathe as little as possible, as slowly as possible. Yes, to make your life longer and acquire special powers and siddhis, because like I said, from a yogic point of view, they do pranayama to acquire siddhis. You can actually do crazy things. Uh, not crazy things, you can get powers because controlling the body, so I'll finish that point, the world, in the analogy of the bubble, is just an extension of my body. Whatever is there to see is there because I have eyes. Otherwise, it could, never, it could even not be there. Whatever is there to hear is important to me as long as I have ears. Otherwise, I couldn't care less. If I'm deaf, if there is uh, about the cicadas, I couldn't care. I, they wouldn't be part of my reality. So reality is just what you can perceive through your um, material senses, which is why yoga is all about controlling your senses and your mind, because then you get total control over physical matter and subtle matter. And then what? And then you die. But if you're lucky, you get this kind of like, you attain this vision of the Paramatma. If you have a pinch of devotion, you get that um, final goal. But it's very much tinged with the desire to lord it over matter. You can really get impressing powers through yoga. So, um, when we breathe in and out, from a, from a Vaishnava or personalist uh, point of view, we're reminded of this taken in and given. 
So, I was saying in pranayama, if you don't want to become the controller of, you know, the master of matter, and therefore take the position of God, and you don't want to live as long as possible, because I don't know if you don't know it, I don't know if you know it, but um, you know the Kumbha Mela, every 12 years or so, there are different kinds of Kumbha Melas in India. Uh, I saw um, like a, a little house on stilts high up where there was this yogi living naked on a deer skin, just wrapped in a deer skin. And people said he was 400 years old, which apparently if you do yoga seriously, is something that you can do, live for 400 years. And um, just by controlling your breath, breathing as little as possible, also in pranayama, you're supposed to breathe so lightly that if you put a feather, it wouldn't move. Uh, nowadays, it's kind of funny because um, yoga in the West has been so uh, denatured. De I've seen and heard of uh, goat yoga, beer yoga, like at every asana you take a sip of beer or something. Latex yoga, where you just wear latex and you and you sweat or something. Uh, naked yoga and this yoga and that yoga, and also with pranayama or breath work as they call it, it's um, it's just that Western mentality of having something good and wanting to make it better or just get the most out of it. So they just do this, just to breathe a lot, and they get kind of like woo from the hyperventilation and stuff. But in pranayama, you always need to breathe with your nose as slowly as possible. Because like with everything spiritual, there is always a material advantage. Right now, just very recently, science discovered that if you breathe very, very slowly, like I said, in, in the air there's oxygen and nitrogen, through the turbines of the nose and the nasal passages, something is I don't know what happens, but you create nitric oxide with the oxygen and the nitrogen in the air, which is antiseptic. It makes you stronger. It boosts your immune system greatly. And just by breathing slowly in and slowly out through your nose, if you can alternate your nostrils, even better, because it stimulates one part of the, of the uh, nervous system and then the other one, and so it balances them. So much science behind pranayama. But anyway, um, you breathe slowly, you breathe lightly, or you just don't even breathe. Because again, in the metaphor of breathing being equivalent to living materially in a material life, you're on a spiritual path. So if you don't breathe, then what? It's like, it does affect your consciousness. You're like, wait a second, my whole life, it was a constant, breathe in and breathe out. I'm used to it. Even if I'm not, even if I'm so used to it that I don't think about it, my autonomous nervous system takes care of it because I cannot afford to forget breathing or I'll die. But it's just what it is to life. And when you hold your breath, you're like, wait a second, I still exist. I'm not breathing in. I'm not breathing out. So what am I? Do I live independently of breathing? Do I live independently of physical matter or matter? Am I just a mind? So it, you can see how just thinking of your breath does that to you. 
And then they say that when you retain your breath on the inspiration, so you, you uh, on the inhalation, so you breathe in, and then you hold, and that's when it's important that you understand how to do that, because if you breathe in, you create a lot of um, um, pressure in your body. So it, 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 uh, it's a very strong massage on all your organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, your bowels, everything gets pushed. And that's how the prana gets infused in your organs. But you also have to like tighten your um, uh, pelvic floor. Basically, you clench your butt. And then here you need to suck it in. And then you need to close this, um, the thyroid basically, to contain that air. Because if you let it loose, then it creates hemorrhoids or it's like too much energy. You can see how mechanical it is, how physical it is. But the point is that when you hold your breath, uh, in inhalation, they say that you are conscious of the self, of the soul. And when you breathe out and hold your breath, you become God conscious. So you breathe, you hold your breath in, it fosters mm, Jiva consciousness, Atma consciousness. And then uh, if you breathe out and hold your breath, then it helps God consciousness. That's something that's kind of useful to know. Again, you need to practice it. You can't just do it from one day to the other. But it's interesting how you breathe in. You're definitely conscious of you because you're like, you know, you, you feel this air in your in your lungs and you're like, yeah, I exist. And, and you're full of air that you have taken. So I'll get to that later. And then when you breathe out, you're emptied. So what's left? You're more conscious of what's out there what's you is a very it's one very definite point in reality what's out there is everything else for all intents and purposes it's the infinite so another realization you know how they say that no matter how much you want to enjoy matter the material senses are limited so all this air all this oxygen all this life we want to breathe but there's only so much air that we can contain in our lungs. Eventually, we have to give it all back, all out. That's the nature of material life. You can't keep it, no matter how good it feels, no matter how useful it is for your material purposes. It's not yours to begin with. You have to give it out. So you give it out, you breathe out, and you hold your breath, and then your tension is out because <laughs> you need that air. And air, uh, in impersonal terms or it doesn't have to be impersonal they say in certain books that when you breathe in you should meditate on soul and when you breathe out you should meditate on hum so hum is a very famous Af um, mantra so hum saha means he aham means i so he i he i it's like tatvamasi you are that or um, what's the other one so anyway, I am that, I that, I that, so hum. It doesn't need to mean Brahman, I am God, I am spirit, which is true. But it could be seen in a, in a more devotional way, and I'm going to have to cut it short. Like I said, God is energy, so going back to the metaphor of breathing out, then what we need is out there, we just breathe it, all the air out and our attention is there 
we want it back in. That's why we become God consciousness when we retain our breath on the exhalation. So I'll just uh, stop because I have to go to town too by saying that by making it even more Gaudiya, we could think of air as Radharani and meditate on Radharani at every breath because she is energy, she is Urja, she is the Swayam Shakti and um, she is Krishna's compassion from our, if we look at God through the lens of Radharani God acts to us through his compassion so Radharani is God's compassion and we, when we act we, we perform acts of devotions to God the lens through which we see God is still Radharani so she's both devotion to Krishna and compassion from Krishna and we could meditate on this at every breath we breathe in we get filled with the energy with the mercy of God and then when we breathe out we give of ourself like swaha swaha means I sacrifice myself um, we offer our breath whatever is our life we offer it to Krishna as dear as our breath is to us because it keeps us alive you know I just said that the out breath is a discarded gases but we could see it as an act of sacrifice the same air ultimately it's the same air we shouldn't think of I get the oxygen and I give God the carbon dioxide we should just think of the air this energy of Krishna that maintains me I use the same energy in God's service and uh, oh I wish I could have expanded this a little longer but uh, that was the apex that's what I wanted to talk about all along and um, you know it's some new ways or you know beneficial ways to think about something as simple as basic as breathing and putting them in relation to Krishna and Radha Krishna which is our Gaudiya way as opposed to thinking so hum and leave it at that I am spirit I am you know I am Brahman ultimately it's true but we could see it in a more uh, Gaudiya way okay so it's late but if somebody has any question uh, or comment or anything I'm open to it I don't have to go to town just yet I have a few minutes other than that I can just say that um, uh, in Hari Bhakti Vilas it says that one should or could do three pranayamas before chanting japa and they would help their minds it doesn't explain what they are but from my research the three pranayamas are kapalabhati to clean your skull to clean your head clear your head um what's the other one called uh bhastrika which is just very potent and again it just uh, cleans your whole system and then anuloma viloma where you alternate the nostrils and it balances you out and then when you're all in balance you can calm your mind and have a much more fruitful japa it's not required but it helps and then in the shikshastakam you can see the last um, verse says uh, he is the lord of my life prananata so um, just something to to think about or gopi paranadhana all those who chant yashomati uh, nandan yes in bengali it says gopi paranadhana but it's just for meter it's actually prana gopi paranadhana you are the life and soul of the gopis 
Um, so I'll just close with this as Gopi Pranadhan Kijai. There are no questions, so thank you very much. I don't know how soon Padmanamaraj will ask me to give class again. I, I do have to give some energy to my work because I'm, I'm poor. Um, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to just think. I mean, I realized so many things myself that I didn't know before, you know, starting to meditate on these uh, aspects. So myself, I will be much more grateful for every breath that I take. So thank you very much for your patience and just being there. And, uh, and thanks to Padmanabh Maharaj and my Guru Maharaj for engaging me because I'm really not worthy. But uh, it was very purifying for me. Okay, thank you again. I'm going to close it here. Hari Hari Bor.